Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, January 14th. In today's news, President Trump grows increasingly isolated, sullen, and vengeful in his final days. President-elect Biden reluctantly cancels his plans to arrive in Washington by train because of growing security concerns. And the FBI's Sedition Task Force rounds up dozens more suspects, including police officers and a firefighter. But first, the big idea. The House has made history by impeaching a president for a second time, indicting President Trump one week before he leaves office for inciting a riot with his false claims of a stolen election that led to the storming of the Capitol and five deaths. Unlike Trump's first impeachment, Wednesday's effort attracted 10 Republicans, including Liz Cheney, the number three party leader. The Senate now appears likely to hold a trial after Trump's departure, an unprecedented scenario that could end with lawmakers barring him from ever holding the presidency again. The final vote was 232 to 197. For Trump, 232 has been an unlucky number lately. Not only is it how many House members voted to impeach him, it's how many electoral votes he received in November. Joe Biden won with 306. Democrats and Republicans exchanged accusations and name-calling throughout a day of debate, while Trump loyalists were livid at fellow Republicans who broke ranks. But despite the emotions stirred by the assault on the Capitol, the overwhelming majority of Republicans stood by the president, including Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. The California Republican argued on the floor that while Trump bears responsibility for the attack that left five dead, impeaching him would only further fan the flames of partisan division. Remember, after the mob seized the Capitol, McCarthy voted to throw out the electoral votes from Arizona and Pennsylvania. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi made clear that censure would not suffice given the circumstances because she says Trump is a clear and present danger to the nation. The focus now turns to how the trial will unfold in the Senate, which has never before held a trial for a former president. Mitch McConnell said yesterday that he will consider voting to convict Trump, but he also said he will refuse to bring back the Senate early to start the trial. He told colleagues that he has not made a final decision about how he'll vote, while simultaneously pressing pause on a trial that could have occurred this week. His office informed Chuck Schumer, the Democratic leader, that he will not agree to reconvene the Senate before January 19th. McConnell is poised to remain majority leader until January 22nd, when election results from the two Senate runoffs in Georgia will be certified. McConnell and Schumer could jointly work out the rules that would govern the trial, but once Democrats formally take the majority, Schumer could formalize a rules package on a party-line vote. Senior Republican officials say it's too early to determine whether the required 17 of 50 Republicans in the new Senate would vote to punish Trump. In addition to Mitt Romney, Ben Sass, Lisa Murkowski, and Pat Toomey, others have directly criticized Trump for his role in inciting the riot, including Richard Burr and Rob Portman. Whether an official can be impeached after leaving office hasn't been settled by the courts, and constitutional scholars don't agree. But there are historical precedents. The impeachment of Tennessee Senator William Blount in 1797 and Secretary of War William Belknap in 1876 both occurred after they were no longer in office. Another open legal question in this uncharted territory is whether Chief Justice John Roberts or Vice President-elect Kamala Harris will preside over the trial. A Supreme Court spokeswoman declined to comment about whether Roberts has been in contact with Senate leaders or whether he wants to preside or is willing to. 
The Constitution says when the president is tried, the chief justice shall preside. Trump will no longer be the president after January 20th. So in theory, that could mean Harris, in her new role as president of the Senate, would oversee the trial. Michael Gerhard, a University of North Carolina law professor who wrote a whole book on impeachment, said ultimately it's going to be up to the majority leader and the parliamentarian to figure that out. But he thinks it should be Harris based on his reading of the law. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Trump's inner circle is shrinking. Offices in his White House are emptying. And the president is lashing out at those who remain. He's angry that his allies are not mounting a more forceful defense for his incitement of the mob. And though Trump has been exceptionally furious with Vice President Pence, his relationship with his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, has also fractured. Trump has instructed aides not to pay Giuliani's legal fees and has demanded that he personally sign off on every single reimbursement for all the expenses that Giuliani submits related to his travels on the president's behalf to try overturning the election. Aides say Trump didn't appreciate a demand from Giuliani for $20,000 a day in fees, so now the president wants to leave Giuliani holding the bag. Minutes after the House voted to impeach him, Trump held a private ceremony in the Oval Office last night to award the National Medal of Arts to the country singer Toby Keith. The White House then released a video featuring Trump seated behind the Resolute desk in the Oval Office pleading with supporters not to engage in further violence. Phil Rucker, Josh Dossie, and Ashley Parker report that the president's son-in-law, Jared, his daughter, Ivanka, and his former golf caddy turned Deputy White House Chief of Staff, Dan Scavino, persuaded Trump to film the video, telling him that it could boost his standing among wobbly Republicans. They asked him not to mention impeachment, and he didn't. Still, in a stark illustration of just how isolated Trump has become, the White House didn't mount really any defense as House members debated the president's fitness for office. Trump's aides didn't blast out talking points to allies. His press secretary didn't hold a briefing with reporters. His advisors didn't do any television interviews from the White House's North Lawn. His lawyers and his legislative affairs staffers didn't whip votes or seek to persuade any lawmakers to vote against impeachment. This is both because there was no organized campaign to block impeachment, but it's also because many of Trump's aides believe the president's reckless incitement of the riot was too odious to defend with their own names on it. White House counsel Pat Cipollone, who was central to the president's defense during the first impeachment, told other staffers to make sure word got out that he was not involved in defending Trump this time. Other than members of his immediate family, the president has mainly only been talking to Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, Scavino, Senior Policy Advisor Stephen Miller, and Personnel Director Johnny McEntee. Hope Hicks, the counselor to the president and long one of his closest confidants, has been checked out for some time, according to people who are familiar with her status in the West Wing. Trump's public schedule continues to be empty, and he's said to be doing little these days besides watching cable television and fulminating. Several aides blame this situation not just on Trump, but also on Mark Meadows, because the chief of staff has indulged Trump's delusions that the election was rigged and made the situation worse by feeding him misinformation about alleged voter fraud that isn't real. As one top advisor put it, quote, Mark is the one who kept bringing kook after kook after kook in there to talk to him. Number two, D.C.'s police chief says that more than 20,000 troops will be deployed in the city next week, up from the previously planned 15,000. 
Many of these National Guard forces are quartering in the capital. This is the first time that troops have been quartered in the capital since the Civil War. The U.S. Marshal Service just announced plans to deputize 4,000 local law enforcement officers from across the country to surge into D.C. next week. Federal officials yesterday led tabletop exercises to rehearse inauguration security and strengthen coordination. Authorities have been operating in a heightened state of alert. Yesterday, FBI Director Chris Wray briefed local law enforcement leaders across the country about what he called the state of play. The agency also moved to establish new command posts nationwide. Senior FBI and Secret Service officials also briefed Biden. After the briefing, Biden reluctantly agreed to cancel his plans to arrive in Washington aboard an Amtrak train next week. The president-elect really wanted to take the 90-minute ride from his namesake station in Wilmington, Delaware. That's a commute he often took during his decades in the Senate. But there had been growing concerns about the possibility of an ambush. And also, if he got to Washington, the fragile security situation upon arrival at Union Station. Intelligence analysts who are closely monitoring online posts and message threads say some far-right groups appear to be backing down from their plans to wreak havoc in Washington in the coming days, at least in part owing to the overwhelming law enforcement presence that has descended on the city. The consensus seems to be that while the risk of violence is now lower here in the coming days, state capitals remain much more vulnerable because they're softer targets. Fearing fresh rounds of violence this weekend, several governors last night announced that they are calling up National Guard troops to maintain security through the inauguration. The D.C. Metro system announced that it will close 13 stations near the Capitol and the National Mall because of an expanded security perimeter. And Airbnb has just announced that it is canceling all D.C. reservations during inauguration week with the goal of making it harder for right-wing extremists to come into the capital city. Number three, federal authorities announced a whole host of new charges yesterday against people allegedly involved in last week's riot at the Capitol, including a man who was photographed inside wearing a pro-Nazi sweatshirt, a five-time Olympic medalist, two police officers from southwest Virginia, a firefighter from Florida, and a transit worker from New York. Many of those charged in federal court face misdemeanors for now and were released without bond with prosecutors asking that they be temporarily barred from entering the capital city. An indictment unsealed against Doug Jensen, a 41-year-old from Des Moines, Iowa, accuses him of leading a charge of protesters against Capitol Police Officer Eugene Goodman. In a video that's gone viral, Goodman is seen trying to hold back dozens of the rioters, twice retreating up a flight of stairs. Police experts say he wasn't fleeing, but he was luring the mob away from the Senate chambers, where lawmakers were sheltering. This almost certainly saved lives. FBI Special Agent Julie Williams says Jensen, the guy from Iowa, wanted to have his T-shirt seen on video so that Q could get the credit. Q is short for QAnon. And the siege on the Capitol played out really as one of QAnon's sick fantasies made real. The hashtag storm envisioned on the radical right-wing message boards had finally arrived, Two women who died in the rampage, both QAnon devotees, have become what some are calling the first martyrs of their cause. The failed insurrection illustrated how the paranoid conspiracy theory has radicalized Americans, reshaped the Republican Party, and gained a forceful grip on right-wing belief systems. Not only did a man in a Q t-shirt lead the breach, 
a shirtless fur-clad believer known as the Q Shaman posed for photographs in the Senate chamber. The theory's namesake, a supposedly top-secret government messenger of pro-Trump prophecies, has largely vanished, posting nothing in the past 35 days and only posting five times since Trump lost. But the fervent online organizing seen ahead of last week's assault is building again. A QAnon group on Gab has grown by more than 40,000 members since last week's insurrection was put down. Speaking of apps, we have a story today in our paper about how a lot of women have been calling the FBI's tip line to help authorities identify pro-Trump rioters who they've discovered by scrolling through dating apps. Profiles on Bumble and Tinder show men in MAGA hats and with Stop the Steal hashtags in their biographies. Women have been compiling clues and then passing them along in hopes that federal agents can round up more of these insurrectionists. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, January 14th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you.